and welcome to The Effect Podcast, Season 3, Episode 13, Planetside. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew, and uh, Episode 13 is unlucky for some, but not for me, because I was born on the 13th, so it's a lucky number for me. Yeah, 13 is a lucky number for me as well. Is it? Good, it good. Is. So this is going to be one of our top episodes, <laughs> and it can be proven by the uh, professional setup, which our listeners don't get to hear earlier on. Oh yeah, the first few minutes of recording before we started the actual show is just, just perfection. It's gold dust, mate. <laughs> Our top level Patreon backers are going to be so chuffed to get. Oh yeah, that. oh yeah, they <laughs> they will just be yeah. Anyway, but let's not let's not spoil that for for them. Let's let's talk to uh, all the rest of our listeners out there about what's coming up in the in the rest of the episode. Of course, uh, we have got people to thank. Our three new members of our Patreon, so three. we'll be thanking them. That's and then remarkable. we'll move on to world of, world of Gaming, and there's lots of exciting news about the World of Gaming, particularly for Year Zero games. Oh, yeah. Not much, we're not, not talking about much else, I don't think. <laughs> not, not, then, not positively, anyway. <laughs> uh, not positively. All oh, right, yeah. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then we're going to talk about Colonies in Alien. We which are. you've been you've you've started a colony campaign, which I'm very interested to hear about. I have started a colony campaign. It's playtesting some rules that I've been putting together, which um I've been talking to the guys at Free League about. So mm. somewhere down so, the line that might pop out, hopefully. So Colony Players of Alien may have heard it here first. Well it's not Or may not. Nothing's official yet, obviously. So there's many a many a loop to get through and they've got so much stuff to get through first, but we're in, we're in we're in discussion about it at least, which is great. That's brilliant. And then we've got um, now almost or more than three months later, we've got the last of our interviews from Dragon Meat. Yeah, and that's with Dan, who uh, was a Coriolis GM. I interviewed him right at the end of Dragon Meat. You were trying to get me to go to the pub, and indeed, I came to the pub afterwards. So <laughs> um, it's a short interview. Um, <laughs> but uh, I interviewed him right at the end because it's about twenty-five um, seconds long. <laughs> no, it's a bit longer than that. <clears throat> but uh, I interviewed him. I wanted to interview him because at least two people, when I was working the free league store, do you remember how they didn't want to give us any copies of Coriolis? Well, they our, our original list of stuff didn't have much of anything really, other than Alien and a couple of bits of uh, Tales from the Loop. And we went back and said, "Come on, guys." Send us a load of stuff because we sure we can shift it. And, we uh, can yeah. shift it, but we we had help shifting it because, as I say, at least two <laughs> players in a Coriolis scenario that he ran at Dragon Meat came straight from that adventure and bought a copy of Coriolis. <laughs> so sounds he like, helped us. It sounds like it was a good game. I think it must have been. <laughs> so we'll find out about what went on in there in the interview. Um, and then I am going to uh, just uh, really recycle a bit of what I'm writing eventually to go on the Three League Workshop, which is uh, some of the non-player characters that you guys met when you were playing Song to the Siren. Indeed. You might now, as a player, find out about what was making them tick and act so strangely. Indeed. Look forward to hearing about that. Brilliant. So shall we kick off with Let's... our three new Patreon backers. Yep. Tell me all about them. Dave, I want you to say a great big hello to Kevin J. Feely. 
Hello, Kevin. And to Born Ove Asprem? Bjorn, rather than Bjorn. Bjorn. Hello, Bjorn. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and to John Douglas. And John. Hey, hello. Now I want you to say goodbye to Kevin <laughs> J. Feely. What did you say to him? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kev- Kevin, uh, Kevin sadly hit on hard times just after he joined the Patreon. So he's only given us a month's worth of money. And by the time I'd written a note to say thank you very much, he, he wrote back and said, yeah, but sorry, because I'm going to have to drop out now. But his note was so lovely, I thought I wanted to read it here for the pleasure of our other listeners. Yeah, And I do. Kevin, if you're listening, as I said in my reply to you, we know the winds of financial change uh, f- blow through all our different bank accounts. So thank <laughs> you for the for the minimal support you've been able to give us for that one time. But also, especially, thank you for this note, because in it, he said... You've rekindled my love for RPGs <laughs> by turning me on to Free Elegant Games. Cool. And your insightful commentary has changed how I think about and approach an RPG. Are we sure he's listening? He's got the right podcast here. Insightful. <laughs> insightful. Well, yeah, admittedly, that all comes from my side. Well, uh, well um, clearly it, it comes as a totally unintended byproduct of our ramblings. But if, uh, But that's brilliant. No. But he yes. finishes, I am a better player for having listened to Effect. Oh, wow. So, That's... Kevin, yeah. keep on listening and yeah. we'll soon cure you of that. <laughs> no, what, oh, well, what wonderful comments. Thank you, Kevin. And say, delighted that you've, you, you know, you, you wanted to back us and hopefully things will pick up for you again and uh, we'll welcome you back to the Patreon one day in the future. But no, what lovely cool. comments. Yeah, well, how great <laughs> is that? I love that. Um, oh. <clears> and then World made, of Gaming. It's made my day, that has. It has. Yeah, yes, no, it made clearly. me feel really good on listening to it. And it's so so rare, I imagine. I mean, we haven't actually had many patrons leave us, but, it, you know, I wasn't ever expecting somebody saying, sorry, I can't support you anymore, to yeah. make me feel so good about what we do. Yeah. So, anyway, again, thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you. Right, World of Gaming. Go on. Okay, so I saw two bits of news earlier on, and they're both kind of related. About a week ago, I saw the cover of a Tales from the Loop starter set Mm. advertised on one of the shops. And I went, Nils didn't tell us about this. (laughs) So I wrote him an email, actually, and I said, Nils, is this true? And he said, yes, but they shouldn't have announced it yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, he explained a little bit about why they shouldn't have announced it. Um, and I'm sure it will be properly announced very shortly because yesterday, we're recording this on Friday, and on Thursday, Amazon dropped their trailer for Tales from the Loop. Indeed. Do you see it? I have seen it, yeah. It looks, uh, it, it, well, it looks lovely again, straight away. It's got that real feel of, um, of Seaman Stullenhag's then- work. Straight away. Hasn't um, it? Hasn't it exactly it's, got that? It's just, I'm, I'm amazed about how well it does that. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Price in his fisherman's cap could yeah. come straight out of a Stalinhag painting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love the... Um, they've, they've really caught the mischievousness of the robots as well. Yes. It's, it's even in that, even in that um, trailer. Go and have a look at it. People will, will immediately see what I mean. And sort of one of them sort of playing hide and seek and another one sort of shadow boxing with a kid... Yeah, just really nicely done. 
And that's interesting because um, that's one of the things I noticed about this box set and made me guess that it, I thought it was something to do with the TV show. Because uh, do you remember that there's quite uh, a, an often used Stalinhag picture of a boy with an orange and white uh, backpack on his back and a robo glove on his hand. Yeah. And he's kind of jabbing his robo glove at an approaching police car. And there's a big orange and white robot that's yeah. kind of mimicking his movements to the side. In fact, there's two boys in that picture. Well, this cover looks almost exactly like that, but subtly different. Mm -hmm. The boy has a ponytail. And in fact, from the trailer, we see that she's a girl because it's her that's doing that shadow boxing. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the police car, which had a European spelling of police on it, now doesn't. And in fact, not on the cover, but I've seen now another Simon Stalinhag um, poster for the show, which has got a slightly pulled out version of that same picture. There's an adult standing uh, kind of close by who I'm guessing is the dad that we saw with her yeah. in, the, in the trailer. So Simon Stalinhag has been making new pictures of the TV show based on his original pictures mm. from the book. Which would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think that's why they shouldn't have um, released that. The shops that, yeah. that had the coming soon starter set shouldn't have released that picture yet because that picture, if you like, is an Amazon picture, yeah. not actually a pure Simon Stullenhauer. A, re a release for the for the programme rather than for the game. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I'm imagining the starter set. I don't know. Nils didn't tell me much about it apart from, uh, yes, we can mention it on the show, but... Don't share that link, please, that I've spotted. Um, uh, and he yeah. said... Uh, and that, that, that link isn't in the show notes, by the way, guys. So don't, don't, don't go <laughs> the, looking. The, the link isn't in the show notes. <laughs> we'll link you to the official Amazon stuff. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that the starter set will include the setting of the TV show as another loop. Well, uh, I'm wondering. So having looked at... Having seen the, the, the trailer... Mm -hmm. I don't know if you picked it up. There was there was a, a couple of groups of characters that they reference. Um, yeah. What one is the, the the little kid in what looks very very Swedish, or very Scandinavian in its outlook for the yeah. architecture and the and the and the um, the environment, and then you get two young black guys in what looks oh, very in much like a magnetrine combine what, harvester. Yeah, I love what looks, that. What I looks love very that. much like uh, a kind of Midwest US setting now in the game you have two settings you have the Merlin islands in sweden and you have boulder city in nevada or arizona wherever it is and i wonder if the program is linking the two and in some way join them up because i guess i just got the sense the 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 field and the environment uh, with the black guys with the magic the magnetrine thing struck me as very american and the rest of it struck me as very swedish and i thought aha Maybe there are two stories here that are going to be interwoven as part of the tale, part of the tales from the Maybe, but I remember when they first announced the programme, they said it was going to be set in America, not Sweden. Did they? Okay. Yeah. And I was thinking, yes, Well, that would be a pity, because feel... I think it would be really cool if they'd had kind of uh, an interlinked story between these two loops. Somehow they were connected. It... Anyway. Yeah, it would be. But I was also thinking there is, there's plenty of, of Swedish or Scandinavian 
bits of America, like um, where they filmed Fargo, for example. Yeah, that's so, true. That's uh, true. But um, so I, I thought they might be just um, different times of year in the same possibly, place. Possibly, possibly. So anyway, I'm very yeah, excited about that's that. That's April starting the on the third of April. Isn't it? April the third, right? <clears throat> third, I think. Yes. Not long. Uh, so set your Amazon Prime for that. And yeah. if you're not an Amazon Prime subscriber, Amazon Prime Video is a couple of quid less. So, um, so you know, you could just subscribe to the video and just for the month or whatever that it takes you to watch. Yeah, but presumably um, you've got Amazon Prime anyway because you're watching uh, Picard, aren't you, listeners? So Yes. So uh, Yes. I'm <laughs> sure they are. Are we I'm enjoying sure. Picard? Um, I haven't seen this week's episode, but I yeah. watched it at five thirty this morning. Where were you at five thirty this morning? I was fast asleep in bed at five thirty this morning, like all sensible people. Um, I always wake up at five thirty, so um, uh, yeah. So I I have been really enjoying it. I I, I, yeah, I think I'm enjoying it more than I would if I didn't have all the next generation baggage that i'm carrying with me so i am really enjoying it the last episode not this one that i haven't seen yet the one before got a bit silly in places that was very but, silly um kind I'm, of enjoyably silly but it um, was yeah. and in fact it wasn't the silliness it was the gruesomeness in the opening no, cold no, open no spoilers yeah that is yeah. true i mean that was that was a little bit um you could argue blatant for a star trek show but well, also, actually, for television, I can't think of, a, you know, of all the most gruesome television shows I've seen, I can't actually think of one that was quite as gruesome as that. Oh, well, you haven't watched but, much Walking Dead or anything like that, then, have you? So, um, so this yeah, is, that's a good point. It, but, it didn't it didn't feel particularly extreme to me when I was watching it, but I didn't really want to watch it because when I was seeing it i was having some lunch so it wasn't the best timing so not the thing to do when you're <laughs> okay yes. um but i don't think it's significantly worse than uh or any worse than a lot of the stuff you can get out there um from a lot of these other programs but it is a departure for star trek so mm. i think that might be i did i didn't mind the other bit of gruesomeness right at the end i thought that was fine it was fine um in that sense um if you know what i mean yes really gruesome horrible blood is fine uh but yeah, they didn't need it at the beginning. No, there's there's one particular a shot that I remain convinced yeah. would not even be on Walking Dead. But we'll 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 we can't discuss that without spoiling it. And in fact we are in the middle of world of gaming, not world of sci fi television. But you asked so, uh, you asked the question. So come on. That's you know. true. That's but, true. But we, whenever we stuck religiously to the, uh, yeah, the sections the of the order. show, for God's sake, I mean, come on, this is us. Never. There's, there's nothing Never. sensible or insightful about us, now, is there? So come on. And the other thing, actually, I do have to say one more thing about Picard as well, which um, I don't know whether everybody knows this already or everybody's seen it already. But is this I'm not particularly be a musical. Spoiler? No, it's not going to be a spoiler. Okay. <clears throat> Some time ago, I teased Andy, uh, our uh, uh, friend and patron Andy, on the Discord with a sort of spoiler where I talked about the ending of the second episode and then I, uh, I said they played me emotionally like an instrument, like a flute or something, which I said purposely to make him think of the inner light. So then he thought I was saying an inner light related spoiler, but it wasn't. It was just a bit of a tease. 
But this morning, as I listened to this episode, I thought, actually, the opening notes of the credit sequence are a reference to the inner light. And then after that, I had to watch... Well, I didn't watch all of The Inner Light again, but after the programme finished, I went back to The Inner Light on Netflix, the other subscription channel where the rest of Star Trek is, <laughs> and um, went to the end of that episode to the point where Picard's playing his little space penny whistle. And he's learnt this tune, of course, because in, in The Inner Light, he spent 40 years yeah, living I, an entirely different life. I remember the episode, um, yeah. And I listened to that. I thought, oh, no, I'm wrong. This isn't the same tune as the opening sequence. But then right at the end, the last few notes of that tune are, I'm pretty convinced, the first few notes of the Picard theme tune. Are you sure it's not just a Easter egg? Or are you are you saying this is more significant than that? And there is some great no. I think it is just an Easter egg. But I think yeah. what a great Easter egg to do there. You know, <laughs> so obviously they're riffing on parts of Picard history, which for reasons uh, of spoilers I won't mention. But and so this inner light reference is just a tiny one to say no, we haven't forgot one of forgotten one of your favourite Picard episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I just thought <laughs> yeah. it was brilliant actually. Yeah. We, also, we, I kind of want somebody. We have... So to say, we haven't forgotten your, one of your favourite um, episodes with Picard in it. Um, oh, but here's some gratuitous blood and violence. Hey! Yes. <laughs> well, this, that at least came after the blood and violence at that point. <laughs> remember that was that was that was the other thing that shot me. That was a cold open. That blood and violence, without anybody from Amazon going. The following episode contains scenes yeah. of bloody violence from the start, yeah. which on broadcast telly you'd get. Anyway, right. Enough of that. What I really want, though, is somebody who can actually tell the difference between notes to tell me whether or not I'm right, because I'm not enough of a musician uh, to be sure that I'm right. But I, if I am, I loved it. Right. OK. Back to the world of gaming yes. um, and the Gaslight Club. Yes. Now, uh, some time ago, uh, when we were at UK Games Expo, I recorded an, a two-handed interview with, well, one of the people was Stu Goff, and Dave, Stu Dave Goff Chapman. said, and Dave Chapman was the other person, yeah. yeah, but Stu Goff is the guy I'm talking about, because he said at that time, oh, I'm producing a Year Zero game based on Westworld, and I my ears picked up, because of course we're doing Tales of the Old West. Indeed. Uh, but he's just released it, and it is based on Westworld in a way, but it's not set in the Wild West, it's set in the time of the Great Gatsby. And it's called the Gaslight Club, and he's just kickstarted it as part of Zine Quest, and it's just finished. And he's going to be publishing a new Year Zero game where you are, I, I'm guessing, androids who think you're human in a Great Gatsby setting. I was going to ask. So the 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 Westworld element of it is just the fact that they're androids rather than a Western kind of theme. Yes, I think so. It's it's that sort of Westworld theme park of, you know, you can go and uh, humans can go and have adventures in a fabulous thing where everybody else is either another player or uh, a robot. And um, and I get from this that you're probably all of you robots, but you become self-aware as part of the uh, part of the process of this yeah. game. Uh, anyway, I've got a copy. Uh, PDF was only £5, and I backed it for £5 because I'm a bit poor this month. And so when it comes through on PDF, I will share more about it. Cool. Yeah, interesting. Um, you, you, you haven't got the PDF yet, then? 
So it's not, not, not yet. It's no. not ready. Okay. Yeah. Is the Kickstarter still up and running? No, it's just finished. And yeah, I don't right. know if there's a late pledging thing on it. But it finished yesterday, I think. Mm. It was very short. All the Zine Quest ones, they only last a couple of weeks. So ex- explain Zine Quest. So Zine Quest is a thing that happens every February on Kickstarter. Well, I say every February. It's happened for the last two Februaries. Mm-hmm. And it's a kickback to when the likes of you and I were producing zines like Fanzines. Songs of Blood and Sorrow. Yeah. Fanzines, but with RPG content. Yeah. So it's a particular thing to encourage small RPG producers to make a limited run fanzine, which of course now can be done on PDF, but I think the point is to make it on paper make as well. Make it real, yeah. Uh, and, and send it out. Uh, it's a great thing. I did think that we might do it this year, but we ended up being so busy with Alien mm. that... Um, no, that that didn't happen, basically. No. We might do it next year, next February, perhaps. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look at it now on on, uh, on Kickstarter. Um, so there's not an awful lot of information then, and, and, and it's closed. But if uh, if we'd had this conversation yesterday, I might have just kicked in five quid for that as well. But <sighs> a bit late I did now. put it on our social media, mate. I can't, you know, know. you've got to read I some of the shit I put up. Think I, well, I, as I said, I read it, but then I just instantly forget it. <laughs> And that, because and not, I sent it to you, and it's not that's just why. you. It's not just you. It's uh, it's it's everybody else who who doesn't really matter as well. So, um... <laughs> and to you, yeah. that's everybody. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, think uh, the things have just been a bit manic lately. Anyway, enough of my problems. This is turning into a bit of a therapy session. Uh, so, I I had one thing I just briefly wanted to mention uh, on World of Gaming. It's not really news, I don't think, because it's been around for a little while. Just just a reflection, and this is just a personal reflection from um, my little group. And talking about Cyberpunk Red. Yes, which we had on World of Gaming some time ago, and you were quite excited by it because you're a fan of Cyberpunk. I am a big fan of Cyberpunk. Played a lot of 2020 back in the day. Um, one of the guys at our group has got the Jumpstart kit and was really quite keen to run it. Uh, as uh, in our little crowd, he said the other day that he doesn't want to run it anymore. Oh no! Um, largely on the grounds that he doesn't think there's enough in the Jumpstart kit to really get his teeth into, which is a a bit of a disappointment. But um, I, I had a look at it briefly when he uh, a few weeks ago. Didn't get a good look into it. It's obviously very reminiscent of 2020, which is a good thing. Um, but it did seem quite thin from. From, from what was in it. I don't even remember seeing a starter scenario in it, but there might be, um, but I don't remember seeing one. Um, mm. and, and in this day and age of, uh, you know, starter kits being, you know, the expectations for a starter kit get bigger and bigger, I think, particularly when some people, you know, blame Free League for this, do a starter kit that's as big as some full books are. Yeah, we're uh, talking Forbidden Lands. Um, then, uh, yeah, well, assuming now that ho- hopefully I haven't set them up for a fall, that the Forbidden Lands starter kit's really small. <laughs> you know? Well, um, Tales from the Loop uh, uh, starter kit looks quite chunky. You know, the rules Tales already the is what I meant. Yeah, it, in Tales from the Loop were a small part of that book, and most of it was scenarios. There's mm. only one scenario, but there is a set of dice included in the starter kit. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I want. Anyway, sorry. So I wonder if, if we've done that bit. Cyber, Cyberpunk Red. I wonder if Cyberpunk Red just suffers from 
Yeah, that's the 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 editorial process of getting it down into something that's small enough for a jump start starter kit, but actually has not left enough yeah. in there to get a GM really excited about running it from the jump start kit. So, but, uh, you know, that worries me a bit because there are some really good starter kits out, even if mm. they're, uh, you know, because it's boxed, isn't it? This starter yes, kit, it is. Yeah, kit. it is. So it's not some flimsy download, which is what no. Fearlegan's um, Forbidden Lands one is. It's a, it's an actual product in a box. And I bought my son uh, the Call of Cthulhu starter kit, and that's amazing. It's okay. got like a solo scenario uh, and a couple of other scenarios. So it takes you... You know, it really introduces you to becoming a GM. You 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 learn the rules with a solo scenario, then you practice the rules with just one or two mates with the second scenario, and then there's another one beyond that, which is more like the full one. Uh, and it's a really good sort of learning path. And we've heard as well, uh, is it Homeworld that Modifius are producing, and that's going to be an interesting thing where each player gets a different part of the rules. Yes, now um, that's that's a that's a really intriguing idea but i think it runs the risk of being really shit <laughs> but um, what i'm saying is there's people thinking hard about how starter kits should work yeah absolutely yeah. and what starter kits shouldn't do is put off the prospective gm who is going to run it yeah yeah and although it's a personal opinion actually i've had one of my contacts locally here saying something a bit similar to that yeah. I wouldn't want to quote him because I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was less than impressed. Yeah, which is a pity because it's a game that I really, really want to see do well. Um, and I'm not going to get it in the Jumpstart kit. I wasn't going to do that anyway, you know, even until, you know, even before uh, before this. But I'd be very keen on getting the full game, ultimately, because, as I say, Cyberpunk um, is, uh, is is a big part of my gaming Sort of DNA, really. Played played tons of it back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I right, think that's, okay, that's kind of so it for me for World of Gaming. We're generally and, and... more enthusiastic about games in World of Gaming than uh, Cyberpunk Red, but uh, I guess all we can say is buyer beware on that one. And although, although I think you know, I don't make want... your own decision. This is this is a personal reflection from from one guy, and maybe two yeah. with your contact as well. Um, I wouldn't want to put somebody off if they were interested in giving it a go. Give it a go and let us know how it goes. And then we can report yeah. back on, on your your views on it. So I wouldn't want to put somebody off from it. It's just a personal reflection of of something that came up. Right. Cool. Shall we get into... Given that we've gone for half an hour now and we're meant to be about an hour long, shall we talk about some other stuff now? Yeah. I mean, we're never an hour long, are we? <laughs> but yeah, yes. but that's a dream I have. That one day we will be colonies. Colonies. You are going to tell us about your colony campaign. I, I, I will. I will. Yeah, I will. I'll say something. I'll let you listen. Do you to want it. to shut up and, and start talking on the recorded bit of you talking instead? Yeah, I think. Shall I we listen to you instead of you? <laughs> I think we ought to do that. Yes. As we all know, the Alien RPG has a campaign mode that so far hasn't seen as much attention as the cinematic mode of the game. And that's completely understandable. Players are immediately drawn to the movie-style experience. The one-shot, no one's going to survive, it's okay to be a complete dick to the other players if your agenda tells you to type of game. Also, there's a feeling out there among the Alien fans who aren't such big Alien fans that they've read all the books and the comics, that the campaign universe might not be so well known. 
but Free League are working hard to fill out some of those perceived gaps, with the campaign expansions that are either in the works right now, such as the Colonial Marines book and the cinematic scenario Destroyer of Worlds, or those that are waiting in the wings to be produced, like the next cinematic scenario in the sequence, tentatively entitled Heart of Darkness, or those that we want to produce but are pretty much still on the drawing board. One of these is Colonists and Colonies. And this is of particular interest to me. One of the things I love about Mutant Year Zero is the concept of the Ark, the home base that not only anchors your campaign in a place and time, but also serves as a melting pot of conflicts, relationships and story hooks. Not only that, it gives the players something to care about that's bigger than themselves, something to nurture, to grow and to protect, or something to manipulate to your nefarious purposes. Working with Thomas and the guys at Free League, I've been putting together some thoughts about what a colony might look like in Alien, how it might play out, and what would make for great storytelling. And I've been running a little playtest campaign called Exodus. Here's a taste of what I've been thinking. The first key thing for a colony campaign is the colony itself as a place, and this means the planet it settles on as well. That planet is critical to a colony campaign, where the players aren't going to be flying all over the universe like space truckers or explorers. A colonist campaign by its very nature is a very different beast, but the canvas upon which that campaign plays out is the home planet. So to that end, I've enhanced the existing rules in the core book for system and planet generation, adding details, features and colour that's all intended to bring that world to life and inspire story ideas and scenario hooks. Here's the log entry from Captain Saul Modine, commander of the colony vessel Exodus, describing the planet LV-1313, nicknamed Earth 2.0 by the colonists, all produced by a few dice rolls in our session zero. The first planet we targeted for survey was LV-1313, the fourth planet orbiting an ageing M-class red giant, HR-3259, also known as Alpha-1. Alpha-1 casts a dim red glow across its busy system. Along with LV-1313, there are four rocky planets, three close in and very warm, and one little more than a giant asteroid, seven icy worlds in the distant reaches of the system, and two enormous gas giants straddling three dense asteroid belts. LV-1313 itself was almost beyond belief. The early scans and surveys kept bringing back such results that I for one thought it must be an elaborate and poorly judged practical joke. First, it is Earth-sized, with as close to 1G surface gravity as makes no odds. The atmosphere is 22% oxygen, 76 nitrogen, and the rest trace. The global temperature is in the temperate range, and 65% of the surface is covered with water. And LV-1313 has one moon. It was so startling that the crew took to calling it Earth 2.0. The only difference is the rate of rotation, and hence the total day length is just eight hours. Four hours of daylight, four hours of night. It might take some getting used to, but for the bounty of such a world, it's a price well worth paying. And there is some bounty. The Northern Hemisphere is swarming with a myriad variety of insect-like species. This is bordered by an equatorial zone that is dense jungle of exotic plant life, although much of it seems to be toxic. 
The southern hemisphere is formed of rolling grassland hills and plains of tall elephant grasses. The South Pole is the only place where permanent ice forms, and giant icebergs sail the southern seas. We're going to sit down in those southern plains of grass, near to what looks like a huge but ancient asteroid crater that's already been named after our esteemed UPP colonial supervisor, the Lycanova Basin. This is the perfect place to build our farming colony, Vinland Station. As you can see, the colony has a UPP element to it. The rules allow you to randomly generate the expedition sponsors, and the Exodus mission is led by the Siegson Corporation, with investment from both the Three World Empire and the Union of Progressive Peoples. It's made for an interesting mix, and the campaign has already involved significant political intrigue, including the UPP's failed attempt to oust the Siegson-appointed civil marshal, sadly named Jim Hopper by the player. But this scenario concept came not only from the political melting pot that is the makeup of the colony, thanks to a few dice rolls, but from another key aspect of the rules, the colony cycle. This cycle is performed out of game, reflects the performance of the colony over a six-month period, and gives the players the opportunity to decide the direction of the colony for the next six months. During this phase, you will see how well the key people have performed their duties, like the marshal, as well as the colonial supervisor, and corporate director and others, and you track the ongoing health of the colony. The players get to choose policies to enforce, installations to build, and projects to run for the next six-month cycle, in an attempt to make the colony thrive and grow. In the Exodus campaign, the performance of the team has been so woeful that the colony has been struggling just to survive. This has led to low morale and tension, promoting internecine strife among the factions and leading me to the scenario where elements of the UPP were trying to take over. Marshal Hopper held on to his job, just, thanks to a vote in his favour by the UPP colonial supervisor, Svetlana Lykanova. Does this reflect a rivalry and competing factions within the UPP ranks themselves? We will have to wait and see. I could talk for an hour about my ideas for colony campaign play, but Matt will kill me if I do that, so maybe I'll save that for next time. Well, that's great. That's got me really intrigued because, of course, I've been uh, kind of in the background while you've been putting these tables together. I've seen, bloody mean, months ago now, your first set of tables for random yeah. colony generation. But things have moved on, it strikes me. I'm liking your actual campaign. I'm liking Sheriff Hopper. <laughs> I'm liking the fact that he's currently working on a Russian railway. Oh, no, that's another trailer. Um, <laughs> but I'm liking the fact that he's being taken down by the Russians. And I'm intrigued about this colony sponsor thing. So what are the dice rolls that get Siegerson setting up a colony with investment from both the Three World Empire, long rule the emperor, and mm -hmm. uh, the Union of Progressive Peoples? Um, it's fairly straightforward, actually, because... Quite a lot of the stuff that I've um, had to that I've put into the colony stuff is already, in one sense or another, um, or to one to one degree or another, in the core book. Because obviously there are there are tables in the core book to design a planet. I've enhanced that. I've gone further, deliberately in an effort to create planets that have got more than one kind of culture. Because otherwise, a culture, one kind of environment, one kind of landscape. 
because otherwise... Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so no more desert planets or snow planets or... It's, I mean, it's possible. If the dice roll in a certain way, you might end up with a planet that's entirely desert, but it's very unlikely to. And that's that's right. one of the things that I wanted to bring into into the, the colony campaign for Alien is the yeah. variety of the planet. Because the planet, as I say in the piece, is almost the central character. And if that planet hasn't got lots of character, then it might make for a pretty boring campaign. Yeah. Um, but on in terms of on the sponsors, so uh, I, I've basically recreated what's already in the, the core book a little bit. But it's a couple of tables. One that just tells you how many um, sponsors there are from one to three, or it might be an independent cooperative syndicate, which would then be uh, everybody has invested a bit of money to to yes, to sponsor all the sorts mission. Of different factions. Much, much more of a communal, maybe almost a kibitz kind of approach. Um, yeah, and then you just roll two d six to see which corporations or Who which governments are? are involved. And so we rolled Siegson. Um, mm-hmm. So they were the the corporate backers for this one, and Tony's playing um, the corporate director, who is one of the command team, effectively second in command of the base. Uh, oh, so is Tony Svetlana Lakinova, or no, no. is he reporting to her? So he is, in theory, rep- reporting to her. So in your command team, you've got the colonial supervisor, who is in overall command. You have the mm-hmm. uh, the, the corporate director, who is the uh, the senior corporation man or woman on the base, and they are there ah, right, yeah. with an awful lot of authority uh, and the, to make sure that the corporate investment is being spent wisely. Uh, or there oh, I bit. see. So Tony's working for Siegson. Yes, Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Lycanova is a UPP appointment, and then you've got the rest of the the command crew, uh, and they're they're important because they're the ones who um, you rely on for the overall health of the colony when it comes to that colony cycle that I talked about, which is trying to recreate the end of a session um, uh, game that you had running the arc in 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 Mutant Year Zero. And gotcha. um, that kind of thing, because there's one thing um, I remember when we were first uh, backing Coriolis uh, before mm-hmm. we got our hands on it, we were thinking, okay, the ship is going to be really important in this. Is that going to be like the Ark in in Mutant Year Zero? Is it? That sounds really intriguing. And it wasn't in the end. It was just a ship. No, it's a little bit. You were a little bit disappointed. I've not played Mutant Year Zero, yeah. so I wasn't so affected by that disappointment. Um, initially, it was a bit initially ordinary. disappointed. Um, um, but yeah. I think in the in the scheme of things, it works brilliantly. Uh, but I, I, there was a slight disappointment there. We did talk in some episode or another of this very podcast about the concept of a haven. In Oasis, I think was the Oasis. Word I used. Is that we going to call it? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think so. Now you were thinking of I'll putting, dig out a link to that of episode. doing something about it, weren't you? Um, I was, yeah, but I never did. You know, no. well, we I might. So many ideas. I might take that up when I get some spare time because I quite like the idea. Of, of <laughs> when you about get it. some spare time, so sometime in the next decade, um, Boggle Day. I'm going to do it on Boggle Day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we ought to explain that uh, Dave yeah. and I have invented a, an eighth day of the week to do all the stuff that we don't get done all the rest of the time. It comes between Monday and Tuesday, and it's Boggle Day. Yep. Um, <laughs> so far, it hasn't proved massively helpful no, in keeping us no. on schedule. 
No. Um, anyway, sorry, yeah. uh, that's a little diversion. Yes. So next Boggle Day, you'll work on my idea. That's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, the thing I'm, I'm trying to, the, the principle I'm trying to um, stick to with this colony, um, the, the whole thing, not just the creation of the planet and, uh, and the colony itself, but how the colony works, is the roles should lead you to a... Uh, a scenario it'll, it will create a situation that is basically throwing up story hooks and scenario ideas as I, again as i said in the essay um the whole scenario about hopper's attempted the deposition by the upp came about from the previous um scenario where the the end of cycle the roles by the team uh were so bad that the colony was failing um that mm. obviously then led into the opportunity to have a scenario that was focused in the colony it wasn't about exploring the planet and it was political and it was intrigue and it was machination and it was yeah it went really well the guys really enjoyed it um but i think there's a few other things as well which i i won't go into now but in some of the playtesting i've done i've been really pleased where um the colony might be doing really badly uh after a particular cycle and then the choices that people make for the initiatives that you might build your policies or your installations or your projects they work so well um and it, it one of the there's one really good one which came up in playtesting which was uh a colony was completely out of money it was about to go bankrupt it was in serious trouble the players looked through the options they had and they went okay we'll go for the car we'll go for cartels and it's a bit mm -hmm. you can play it in a couple of ways it could be just a legitimate cartel that is helping out that you use to, to, to boost the money decided in this instance, it's a cartel of um, dubious background, should we say, who've got a lot of money to invest. And again, that is throwing up lots of ideas for, uh, uh, for, for scenarios. There was another one as well, where um, you get, there's a random event that can happen each cycle. And in one of the play tests over a number of cycles, um, the random event was a corporate, uh, auditor coming and checking out the base and giving them a really hard time because they're shit and the third time we rolled that i thought okay here's a scenario idea this same corporate woman has come twice she's made everyone's life hell she's sacked loads of people it's gonna be a murder plot to kill her when she comes next time mm. and there's a scenario so things like that worked really nicely so i'm really pleased with how that's worked so far okay i've got two questions yeah Two questions. So this this is great. Lovely and political uh, shenanigans. Is everybody part of the command team, first of all? All the players? At uh, least in some way? No, don't have to be at all. They, it's entirely... No, but in your, in your campaign they are? Or? No, so in my campaign we have Tony, who is the um, corporate director. We have uh, Ali, who is the chief scientist. We have... Dan, who is the marshal, and that's it, I think, for the command team. The rest are all NPCs. Right. Yeah. Okay, so they are all. All the players are quite high up ranking people. No, not necessarily. So the other ones, the other players, we've got, um, we've got just a couple of scientists. One's a medic. One is a kid, which in itself okay. has has thrown up a. Um, a so that, an, an that issue of why that my question there. works with the rest of the group. Yeah. Anyway, gone. Yes. Yeah, that that's that was my question. So, how do you mix high level politics with maybe what people are wanting, which is a bunch of wildcats 
off there exploring ancient spaceships or whatever is yeah. happening on the other side. So I think you're driven by the characters that your players create in that sense. If your char- if your players create characters that are prospectors and want to go off exploring, then you know, you will need to have more of that in your in your campaign. If you've got players who are choosing characters who are in essence, you know, political figures or or political characters, then it's um you know, then it will throw your campaign in a, in another direction. There there is there is a uh, there is an, an issue there, I think. Um, the first scenario I did was a um, sort of search and rescue. Not so much mm-hmm. ser- search and rescue, but go and find these people who've gone out doing some um, science and they haven't reported back when they should have done. And mm-hmm. you could argue that the, the 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 corporate director going out on that mission might be a bit unlikely. Yes. Um, yes. So there's going to be... A, there's going to be... There's going to be a little bit of... of um, uh, you know, of, of working around some of those sorts of issues, if you've got characters that are very diverse in their, um, in their. But what happens to your player who's playing a kid? How does your kid get involved in colonial politics? Yeah, so so the the we've only run two scenarios so far. In the first one, um, Pete, who plays the kid, uh, wasn't available, so he wasn't in it, which is fine. Second one, that was easy. Second one, um, he started off the scenario by playing in the ventilation shafts and overhearing a conversation about Hopper that was a bit suspicious. So he then went mm-hmm. and spoke to his mum. He said, oh, you better go and tell director Reiser, which is Tony's character. And then it went mm-hmm. from there. So he then just kind of remained in and around them as as, as part of that. The, the one thing we have done um, to try and draw the kid character in more closely is he's an apprentice and he's an apprentice skilled laborer for want of a better, better phrase. Uh, and he's apprenticed to a working Joe synthetic who doesn't like him, but is ordered to look after him and teach him the, the basics of being a, uh, you know, a, a skilled laborer on the base. Cool. And how old is he meant to be? He's 13 now. Right. Right. So it, okay. So it does. It does throw up some issues. I think Alien the game yeah. does throw up some issues a bit like that. Um, yeah, there've been a few discussions on the social media about yeah. how do I integrate kids in my game? Yeah. So um, it's, it's difficult. And also, I think if you even if you're um, you've got a really you know, you've got a really wide potential diversity of uh, of characters. If you take all of those archetypes and chuck them into a, let's say Nostromo. Then they all mm-hmm. become a bit similar because they're all yeah. doing you know, all part of crew of a ship. Um, so I think there is that that issue isn't isn't unique to a, a, a colony game, but it um, it's just another challenge for the uh, for the for the GM to work around. It hasn't proven yeah. to be a problem so far. It hasn't jarred uh, in in the Yet. playtesting that I've done so far. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So my second question is, okay. uh, but probably not for you. So you said that I would kill you if you went on too long about it. And <laughs> we are nearing the limit of that at this point. My, my question for our listeners, therefore, is do they want to know more about your colony campaign? Oh, I remember when we used to do um, reports from the Mukafar. Yeah. And, and Spectral Corsair. Yeah, absolutely. Spectral Corsair. Yeah. Actually, mostly from Spectral Corsair. Um, 
So do people want to hear that? Uh, do people want to hear more about your deliberations over your colony house rules? Hmm. Um, yeah, get back in touch with us, please, cool. our yeah. listeners. Uh, feedback on our email, feedback at effectpodcast.org. Or on all our social media, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. You know where to find us. We hang around. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. Okay, we done there for we have for, the, for this episode at we least. We are, yeah. I mean, we, we we are again banging on somewhat, but um, I think we are now up to talking to um, Dan from Dragon Meat, wasn't it? Dan from Dragon Meat. About yes, Coriolis. as I said earlier on, uh, he is a sterling, hardworking. Coriolis GM at conventions, and he has sold more than one copy of Coriolis, hmm. to our knowledge, uh, with his GMing. So let's have a listen to what he's got to say about that. Well, here we are in Trade Hall 2 of Dragon Meat. At the end of the day, everybody's packing up now. We've finally got time to talk to one of the brave volunteer GMs who was running Coriolis. All the talk's been about Alien, but I'm pleased to see we've got a Coriolis GM here. So, uh, welcome, Dan. Thank you. And who are you, and what makes you famous? So, I am Dan. Uh, I am the games coordinator for the Phoenix Games Club, who are based here in Plasto in East London. Um, we meet on a Thursday night, and we run a vast variety of games, but as of two years ago, I picked up a copy of Coriolis here, because I was looking for a sci-fi game that wasn't Star Wars or Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone, uh, my friend Gary at Modiphius, pointed me at Coriolis. I have since been... Uh, I ran... An adventure seed for a group of friends at one of our New Year geek meetups in 2018, uh, where they played as Shake Bin Tambourine's Travelling Circus. No, oh, lovely, because that is a thing you can do. It you? is. Um, they very much loved the, the open group character gen. So my friend Ben um, played Shake Bin Tambourine, mm-hmm. who was the, the, the ringmaster of the circus. There was my friend Alan, who played his very seductive dancing girl who was on the run from the syndicate and my friend Paul played a mufti with mystic powers who made talismans for the travellers of the horizon excellent and is that then, campaign still going or uh, no sadly that game ended when um, the games I was wanting to run were not the type of games they wanted to play alright so we had three good sessions with that game yeah uh, when we were still feeling out the system initially. Um, there was a lot of musical puns from Shake Ben Tambourine, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. And the, the rich orchestra that was his family. Um, so yeah, that, that, um, that game But the, that game started off testing one of the adventure seeds from the back of the book. Right, yeah. Uh, Lady Jezebel and her investigation into Ramiel and Forbio, mm-hmm. who are syndicate goons. And that actually, I, from that initial test with those three actually playing a kind of see what happens game that actually became a, an official game I ran at UK Games Expo this year called Retirement Plans All right. where a group of judicators are sent on a, on a grey op undercover to investigate these guys and basically help Lady Jezebel mm. So you ran that at UK. I ran that. Uh, I ran that here last year. Oh, here at Dragon Meat. Here last at Dragon Meat last year, and I ran it at UK Games Expo on Saturday afternoon. Right. Same adventure both times. Same adventure both times. Yeah. But two very different outcomes. All right. Two very different groups, I imagine. Um. Well, all the same characters, but yeah, but different players. Obviously. Different players. Yeah. Yes. Um. So yes, Group One last year at Dragon Meat 
made a horrendous mess of it, wound up actually doing bits of the follow-up adventure, Frozen Assets, where they wind up on Shua, investigating Blue Gin Mining Corporation, who are being used by the syndicate to ferry guns into the Kua system. All right. So now, had you got that planned? or Yes, that had, that had been planned after the initial test at my club of retirement plans and running it at other cool. other places. So that got another early playtest. Yeah, it got a... Yeah, they, it got a it they turned got, left. Yes, they <laughs> turned left instead of right. However, um, so, my, so I actually playtested retirement plans with a group of friends I meet up with, my mate from university, his now fiancé, his dad and his other mate, and they actually bossed the scenario, wound up with the outcome I'd planned, which is where they have to... It turns out that Ramiel and Forbio are planning an arms fair. Right. And three gangs show up and they have to, um, well, break up the arms fair. Cool. So, you've done retirement plans. Twice. Three. Here last year. Well, more. Three times. Four times total. Okay. And did you play that here this year? No. No, no, I wrote This year was your year. So, this year is a spin off adventure from the Games Expo. A group called the Scarab's Wings, mm-hmm. where the ga- the adjudicators are following up on the Blue Scarab Gang. Cool. The Blue Scarab Gang run protection rackets, drug dealing, and um, prostitution rings. Mm-hmm. And um, Tabak Alley was being used as a front to sell Opor and Arash. Mm-hmm. So they uh, went to, to break that up and then go and knock over a big Opor factory on Kua. Right, yeah, and so um, it feels to me you plan these adventures quite well. I, 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 so I, have, I have a page of notes with, yeah. I had, I think, five paragraphs. Right, okay. So, but I, I spent some time looking through the book, so they encountered one of the, the Scavra yeah. uh, as, a, as a shoplifter in, in the Spice Plaza whilst they're initially investigating. There will also be another spin-off adventure using the, the whole gang war, ter- the turf war seed from the book. Brilliant. So that's that's, that's all coming, coming soon. Yeah. And are you going to, uh, you know, the Free League workshop starting soon? Oh, tell promised. me more. No, I, have, I haven't. So it's like uh, Adventurous League. No, not Adventurous League. What do I mean? It's like um, Dungeon Master's Guild on, uh, on, on drive-through. So you can create an adventure and sell it on drive-through. And everybody takes a cut of your profits, but you get Ooh, okay, I might, I might, I might, I might submit adventures I've already written. Then. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, because I've, yeah. I've got there are yeah, there's yeah, there is retirement plans and frozen assets which are all, already written, mm-hmm. and then there is two other scenarios, one of which I've run today, the follow-up game, uh, the Scorpion's Tale, where they're chasing the Red Scorpion Gang, mm-hmm. who are backing rebels on Algol and also knocking over Legion military supply bases in the Dabaran Circle and in and around Dabaran. So they've got to go and shut that down. But there is also the mysterious Black Pharaoh and his gang. Cool. Let's talk about your players. Now, I know I know some of your players at least enjoyed it because I've been working the feeling stand today and they came and they bought Coriolis. So, well done. Thank um, you. Your commission's in the post. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think my commission's down there, oh, actually, isn't it? Yeah, we've given you your commission already. Uh, but were these guys new to the Year Zero system? And what do I um, think of it? Okay, so 
of my of my players who play have played Coriolis. A lot of people have heard about Coriolis, mm -hmm. but very few people have played it. Certainly, when I took retirement plans to Compulsion in Edinburgh yeah. in twenty no in twenty eighteen, um, everyone had heard of it. They hadn't played it, and they were curious and wanted to know more. And particularly when it first came out, I mean, there's so many free league games now. I think it's less of an issue. But we got a lot of feedback that um, people didn't like the dice pool system that you roll a lot of dice and you don't get a success we did we did encounter some of that today someone was rolling his dice were particularly bad but we have I mean I've I've, I've brought in uh, when I was at Expo one of my players who played my afternoon game here at Dragon Meet today came up with a neat idea that there was some way for me to give the party kind of what I'm going to call icon points right yeah so I give them out the, the only hard and fast rule is I have. You can't use them to counteract me spending darkness points. Because mm -hmm. that really grinds my corn. But you can't spend them on your character. You have to give them to another player. Um, you can give them one to give them an additional dice in a dice pool. Or if you've got more, if you've got three or so, you can give them two to buy them a success. So they at least get a basic success on that thing they're trying. Excellent. And that and that's it, and that was tested for the first time today. That seems to be something I will keep in my games. It definitely works. Brilliant. Okay, I think we're coming to the end. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners about that you're doing, uh, apart from obviously your forthcoming Free League workshop uh, projects? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. That, those, those will be out. Um, I will be around at conventions in 2020. So I will be at Aircon. I will be at Compulsion in Edinburgh. Aircon is in Harrogate. Um, I will be at Wintercon down in Eastbourne, but I'll be running different systems. I'll be, I'm definitely including Coriolis. No, oh, okay. I don't because it's a lot of greenhorn gamers, so I run very newbie friendly 1d6 simple systems. But there are, there are people there who, and I think Andy Kybert, Mr. Wintercon himself, uh, so big shout out to, to Wintercon, uh, come and support us. What it. That will be their seventh convention. And I'll be back again at Dragomeet, probably with some more Coriolis. Cool. Who knows? Because it's, it's people like you, the lifeblood of conventions, that run these uh, games. I'm, I'm, I'm a slave to the GM machine, but I, I, once, once you've stepped, sat behind the screen, it's the power. It's where I feel comfortable. Brilliant. Um, I do enjoy playing. I do get to play occasionally, but a lot of the time I do Smashing. So, Dan, thanks very much for taking problem. time to talk to us. Bit of time to go and get a drink. Indeed. Let's go and get a drink. Cool. It's really good to uh, to hear from a wide variety of people, and it's great to hear from Dan about his uh, his experiences. I thought really interesting, uh, and it's something that I I haven't really looked at in any great detail. But um, you know, a lot of his ideas coming from the uh, the story hooks and the adventure seeds in in the Coriolis book itself. So, um, yeah. You know, and I'd say I'm, I'm not one to run published games. Usually, I've I've always said before I, I much prefer to have my own ideas. Um, and maybe I've maybe it's a bit of an oversight. I should go and have a look at um, look at that in a bit more detail. Yeah, because you can have your own ideas based on those scenes. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. He, he's gone in all sorts of crazy directions. Mm -hmm. It strikes me. I'm sure that level of detail wasn't in those story seeds. No, no. But he's been inspired by them to go off. So. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's the sort of thing that I probably I read most all of Coriolis, I thought, 
But in fact, if I did read those adventure seeds, I've only read them once and entirely forgotten about them. Mm -hmm. So cool. next time they may be worth a relook as I think about how I'm going to get you from where you are now that you've escaped off the prison planet to the beginning of the adventure that I want to run. Um, <laughs> well, that, may be, that may be a solution. Talking of adventures that you want to run and, you know, you perhaps you know, needing some better ideas... Uh, Where are we going with this? <laughs> are you saying that my Prison Planet adventure needed better ideas? Because this time last episode, you were singing the praises of my Prison Planet adventure and saying how I should publish it on the Free League Workshop. I was, and I stand by those comments. I just couldn't resist the opportunity to have a little dig, that was all. <clears throat> totally uh, unnecessarily and illegitimately and unfairly. Um yeah, so you were going to talk a little bit about some of the characters from Song for the Siren, weren't you? The headman of the Salvage Town community is Cordoba. He is big. Indeed, he is the biggest guy in the yard, who some PCs may choose to fight in the hope of asserting their violent credentials among the other prisoners. Cordoba is not just big, he is in shape, and his skin has the reddish tone of a humanite with the hardened epidermis talent. His physical abilities give him a confidence which can be seen in the slow, casual way in which he approaches everyone he talks to, or prepares to fight. He prefers to fight unarmed, but does carry a meat cleaver which, if he is pressed, he is not adverse to using in combat. His preferred use of the cleaver is what gives him his fearsome reputation. He eats people. He is an adherent of some remnant of the Nazarene sacrifice, the long outlawed and mostly eradicated worshippers of the beast. In his warped morality, he sees nothing wrong in this harsh environment in feeding not just himself, but his community too, on the flesh of the weak. Salvage Town is situated on the edge of the desert drop zone known as Harvest for a reason. Cordoba and his followers are always first to arrive when a new consignment of prisoners makes planetfall. The new arrivals are usually battered and dazed by their descent and easy prey for the harvesters with their jury-rigged stun sticks. Swiftly incapacitated and bound, they are taken back to Salvage Town as chattels. Their ration bars and water are of course all confiscated, to be added to the communal stock. Some arrivals see what's happening and run away. Neither Cordoba nor his harvesters will chase them far. Some will die in the desert, Others will come crawling back, and the few that make it to Club Topeka are of no concern. Indeed, they might make the produce that Cordoba occasionally trades for. Those that put up a fight might avoid the cleaver. Cordoba is impressed by strength. He will allow any arrival who fights one of the harvesters to try and challenge himself too. And even if defeated, anyone who puts up a spirited fight is inducted as a harvester. Those who don't make the grade, the chattels, are not slaughtered, but rather eaten piecemeal. Kept tied, Cordoba will remove an arm or a leg first, 
cauterizing the wounds against infection. If they seem submissive, they may be allowed some freedom to move about salvage town and, through work, earn the right to eat. Cordoba is no fool, though, and will chop more limbs off troublemakers and finally cook their offal, too. Eat the whole beast is his motto. The motto applies in a way to everything that lands on the harvest. Once the prisoners are rounded up, the harvesters return to collect the landing pods themselves. Back in Salvage Town, they, and some paraplegic chattels, set to breaking them up for raw materials, trading parts, and making the equipment that they need to sustain their way of life. Cordoba's motivations are simple. The survival of his community and the display of strength. Submit to him and you will be looked after, either as a harvester or as a chattel or slave. Willa and Harry have carved out an existence in this hostile landscape by being useful to all, even if trusted by no one. They tour the community that surrounds Harvest, bartering for their produce as well as collecting junk that the more foolish people throw away. They travel on a strange contraption that might be called a horse-drawn cart if anything like a horse was involved. Instead, between the shafts there is a hydrogen motor resting on a single drive wheel that is steered by a pole from up on the cart. And when I say up, I mean up, for the cart is piled high with the most amazing cargo of odds and ends, spare parts, trash, found objects and occasionally useful stuff that looks as though it could overbalance at any moment. Despite its chaotic appearance, each item has been carefully stacked to support those above it and the whole thing is held in place with woven plastic ropes precisely to ensure that it does not overbalance at any moment. This strange duo serve three purposes in the scenario. Firstly, to tell any escapees from Salvage Town about the existence of Club Topeka. Secondly, to offer one or two useful items to our otherwise ill-equipped adventurers. And thirdly, to be an occasional conduit of information between all the different factions, the PCs included, around Harvest. Willa will do the talking. All Harry ever seems to do is sit on the cart, guarding it and the stuff with a homemade blunderbuss and occasionally complaining about Willa's decisions, actions or words. Willa's approach is friendly but distinctly defensive, managing to keep an eye on most PCs who might try and sneak up on him or his stuff. Nothing comes free from Willa, but in the very likely circumstance that the PCs have nothing to trade, he may accept a favour owed. If they cross him, though, they will not get second chances, and he is not adverse to colluding with the cannibals of Salvage Town to get his revenge. Whatever the PCs decide to ask for, he will likely have it on his cart, but he will have or be willing to sell only one. One item the first time they meet. He isn't going to become a general store for them. But if, later in the scenario, the players have thought themselves into a dead end, unable to proceed without one vital thing, then, sure enough, they will hear his whining motor as he trundles up, ready to offer them the thing they need. 
for a price. What price? How low will the players go? He is not adverse to taking a bound person off their hands, but do not let them dwell on the fate of that person. There is one thing he will not sell them, whatever the price. I'm sure they will ask for one. He will not sell them a firearm. You see, once upon a time, many years ago, he himself managed to buy a gun from a trader with a cart piled high with junk. And shortly afterwards, he acquired the cart himself by force of arms. Yeah, interesting to hear uh, a bit more of the sort of background and detail of of the characters, um, Cordoba, Willa and and Harry. Um, Interesting, you know, maybe it it might have been of interest to Yafet finding out that Cordoba was a uh, um, an adherent of the Nazarene sacrifice. If, of course, we'd stopped long enough to talk to him. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So we... Well, you did screw up the adventure in that way, precisely that way. Yeah. I mean, my plan, as I think I've explained to you after we actually played it, was that you were going to get captured as soon as yes. you came out of the pods. And then, of course, you had plenty of time to talk to Cordoba while he was trying to chop your arm off. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you didn't. You did some excellent, and I'm not begrudging it at all, because it was a great scene. It's the end of the first episode of our actual play. It was a great scene, yeah. Uh, Uh, And it was brilliantly played tactically in terms of actual gameplay, but also story-wise, it really fitted very hmm. well. Uh, I'm very proud of all of you as players in (laughs) that scene. Uh, But you did then take a left turn, and you guys (laughs) went off, and you didn't ever get really to talk to Cordoba. You only had a reputation built on what was said about him, not about his inner beliefs. He never yeah. got a chance to tell you. I was hoping you might have a bit of a chat before you killed him at the end of the scenario, but you <laughs> blew up his motorbike, threw a grenade at him. Oh, no, I wouldn't let you throw the grenade at him. I made you, um, I made it explode in your hand. But you killed him anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you never found out. No, well, I think we, we all assumed he was going to be a, a, a tough a tough bastard and knowing how dangerous combat in Coriolis is um, we we did everything we could in our power to stack the dice in our favour literally and figuratively um, to try and win the fight quickly which we did I, I still I still um, disagree with the way you managed the grenade going off in my hand but we won't right, reopen, okay. we won't reopen do you want to talk about that do you I want think, to talk about that live on the show? I think, we, I'm willing to, I, I think we've talked about I it I listened before. to it again as I was editing it, and I reckon it was the right decision. See, but see, my problem with it, and and I think there are others who've expressed agreement with me, is that... Your brother. Yes. Your brother's expressed agreement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was the fact that um, I, could have, I could have died from the expenditure of a darkness point about which I had no player agency to stop. None whatsoever. Three darkness points. Okay, three. Three darkness points. <laughs> how many? How many darkness points is is an instant kill? So that's my only, my only concern with it. In that there you was. You didn't. You, you I had, got a bloody nose. That's all I, you got. I know, but I could have been killed. Or and I think slightly dazed. As a as a as a player being killed in that situation without having had any agency to to divert that fate felt a bit wrong. But I didn't die. Okay. So that was my. That's only my 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 one complaint about that. Um, I haven't listened to it back yet on the on the recording, but I'm, I'm going to just to see because I, I do remember getting quite angry and frustrated about it at the time. So I don't know how how that came across. 
Oh, it um, didn't come across at all, actually. Did it not? Okay. I think because... Um, Maybe I internalised that rather than externalised it. Yeah, no, because I, I think in comparison to how angry and frustrated you'd got early on in the adventure, um, <laughs> which really does come across uh, when you're talking to Kadeem, yeah. the minor inconvenience oh. of a grenade blowing off in your hand. No, that's, really that's true. Like that. But the, the worst and thing about... And, of course, you did then beat the guy pretty... yeah. The worst thing about Kadeem was your role playing his voice and the way he talked, which is just frustrating anyway. Um, <laughs> it being such a frustrating conversation, it being about half past two in the morning and me being quite drunk. <laughs> so, yeah. All of those things put together. Um, no, that point where yeah. uh, no, I kind of I, I thought we've got to stop now because it yeah. is half past two in the morning. Yeah, uh, but, but in, yeah, in hindsight, anyway. that was really good because it, it extended yeah. the tension very well. And I think also the part of the problem was digressing somewhere here was my own stupid assumption that at the end of that scenario we were going to be on the ship and getting out of there. And I was kind of thinking, if we don't get on that ship soon, we're gonna, we're gonna finish. We have to go to bed. Come on, we're gonna, yes. you know. So I think that played into it as well. It was a bit my own my own silliness in that instance. Um, ah, well, there we go. But it was a brilliant scenario. Uh, but and, yes, so oh, we didn't talk about Kadeem in this article. What I've just read out on this podcast. So no. do we want to talk about some of the other characters, yeah. Willow and Harry, by I, any chance? I would also yes. I do have something else to say about Willow and Harry. Uh, how fucking irritating they were as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do irritating. Uh, you you, you are brilliant at, at irritating NPCs. And particularly at the end, where we kind of like tried to be a bit bullish with them. We weren't prepared to fight them because we only had three bullets or whatever it was. Uh, and then they just drove off. And we were like, they're totally impotent. But impotent <laughs> rage at... We can't, there's nothing we can usefully do. Anything we do is worse than just standing here looking like a bunch of idiots. Uh, no, but um, I do they like were very good. scenarios yeah. where the best thing you can do is to start there is, looking like an idiot. Is nothing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I not so much uh, uh, day, uh, not so much Tony and Andy. I like you, Dave, to be standing there looking like an idiot. All my campaigns are written with the end result of Dave looking like an idiot. Sadly, I, I fulfil that criteria quite a lot. I did. I mean, this. It was actually, uh, I think the whole thing is a little bit about disempowerment. And mm. I, you know, I think I've got to do a, a paragraph when I write this up for the game. I, I've tried writing a paragraph already, but it's not quite there. Yeah. So the key, obviously, key thing, it's a prison planet scenario. So I wanted to have prison tropes. And um, as as I say in the article, your man... Um, Cordoba is the bully that early on in the prison adventure, if you'd done it right, um, <laughs> you'd have stood up against, or one of you would have done, and hopefully beaten and thereby, you know, um, moved the adventure on a yeah. bit. Uh, as it was, you you so, so successfully beat the other guys and ran away that uh, that wasn't a thing that happened, which is great. Still a good story. So can I... And will it... Can I, can I ask a question? Did you make up Willa and Harry on the spot during that scenario to kind of get us out of a fix because we were disappearing into into the middle of nowhere? Or were they always a planned part? They were always a planned part, yeah. yes. So the idea was that you would have uh, possibly beaten up or escaped from Salvage Town. And if you were escaping from Salvage Town with nowhere 
you know, Nowhere no to clue go. to get to Kadeem. Yeah, yeah. Willow was meant to be there. Right. And I have to say, I, a lot of these characters are actually based on a film that I think you can see on Netflix or somewhere called The Bad Batch, mm, which stars yes, Jason Momoa. Before, yeah. And in that role, Jim Carrey plays a kind of trader, although okay. he's just pushing around a shopping cart. And so Willow and Willow and him are kind of based on that Jim Carrey character. Not, um, not but I didn't. Not on, but I actually based it on Steptoe and Son, or for American listeners, uh, Sanford and Son, because mm. um, because I didn't quite see that Jim Carrey character as. I mean, none of them are very believable in this <laughs> setting, but my version of Steptoe and Son I felt was more believable than Jim Carrey in a shopping trolley in the yeah. middle of the desert. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a good Jim Carrey performance. <laughs> you will not recognise Jim Carrey. Mm. In that film, if you see him, he's amazing. Uh, but I didn't want—I didn't also. I didn't want to rip off that whole film. I wanted to add some other things to rip it yeah. off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just the bad guy. Why just rip off one thing when you can rip off twenty? But yeah, so so they were there. I mean, the only characters I actually made up on the spot. Well, you made them up, and I can't remember. But you, you did your friend in every port thing. So yeah. I had to make up we that had the priest. Priest. Yep. Who I think I will merge with the Keanu Reeves character, actually, when I write him uh, up for okay. the adventure. I will put some of that ex, ex-priest uh, in there and because the Keanu Reeves character is a little bit flat in my head. Mm. And uh, a lot of the imagination that we put into the priest together, I think, makes that a better character to have. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. Yeah, yes. Cool. No, really good. Um, as I said, when 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 you get off your ass and get it finished and get it up on the Free League Workshop, I heartily recommend um, everyone to go and get it and run it because it was brilliant. It was a really, really, really good scenario with some great moments in it. Um, even from the opening of being stuck in the in the pod. Uh, I love that not, opening. Yeah, so did I. In fact, it was it was that very opening I impactful. wrote probably in more detail than all the rest yeah. of the adventure. <laughs> Even just that, that just the opening from the point where you're launched from the ship to the point where the canopy pops and you've landed, that was just yeah. really kind of really impactful, really well done. So I wholeheartedly recommend this scenario to oh, anyone who wants. Yeah, to and it. that does actually remind me of a thing I was going to say. So the whole scenario is about disempowerment, and that and that theme is in that opening that you are just rocked. Mm. in that thing and there's you know you you guys were limited what you could do i was making you roll dice and making poor old tony take damage in that one mm-hmm. but that was kind of the point of that and i wouldn't do that generally in an adventure unless it was kind of driving that home so i'm glad you liked it because yeah it was you know you talk about uh the the thing where i made a grenade blow up in your hand and you could have died <laughs> but in a way I was doing that about three or four times on that landing scene. Uh, okay. And you didn't mind that. That was all fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess, no I guess because I think, uh, yeah, I think the difference is, and it's an interesting difference, is that, as you say, I, I was totally um, impotent in the pod. There was nothing I could do. I had yeah. nothing. I, I just had to take the ride and hope for the best. Whereas on the other one, I wasn't. I had power and I had opportunity. And, and I took it from you. And I'd worked very hard t- with Tony and Andy to build up that that opportunity. And then you took it from me. Like taking <laughs> a lollipop from a baby. And I cried like a baby. 
<laughs> now, but I... the only reason I took it from you, actually, I was just vaguely hoping that I might delay the inevitable death until yeah. Andy turned up. <laughs> yeah, so why would you say... got it so well planned that you had the reinforcements Yeah, and you didn't really need them. And we didn't need them. And, yeah, Andy did look a bit crestfallen that he didn't get to fight Cordoba, yeah. actually, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Cordoba was written to be an antithesis to both, or an antagonist, but specifically a mirror of both tone, uh, both you and um, Andy. And Andy. So he had the same talent as Andy's got, and he was from the same set of beliefs as you were. Yeah. Um, that was my. That was how he came about in my head. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've talked long enough. We have. Yeah. Cool. I think we talked long enough about that episode, and we've talked long enough about this whole. Um, episode and this episode yeah, yeah i think we've so talked enough to be saying what's happening next week what's happening next time we get online well next time we are going to be interviewing uh magnus theater again the author of the bitter reach now that the bitter reach beta pdf is out i think it's the beta pdf isn't it um i haven't I better read it i haven't read it yet before no. he, so um, yeah he's so we ought to say uh we hope to be because it's one of those where we've got a date booked to record with him at the same time that we are meant to be recording this episode and get it out on air so he may have a problem and not actually turn up in the next episode but yeah but if he doesn't he'll be in the next one after that we're also we're also um overdue we said when we last uh, interviewed uh mateus uh, that we would interview him again after the free league annual strategy weekend which has come and gone so, Which has come and gone. So we need to speak to Mag- So there should be some strategy gossip. We need to strap him be. to a table and torture him until <laughs> we he, do. he tells us everything. We do. So we need to organise that. So you never know. We might get that done in the, in the meantime as well. And yep. uh, there'll be more colony stuff if people want to hear more colony stuff. Can yep. I promise that? Yep, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I, could, I could talk for and, ages about that. Again, without, without uh, too much spoilers. Talking of Alien, uh, you're in the process of editing... Alien Aurora, the the alien game we played in I, um, November. I am, finally. Um, Boggle Day managed to come round and I found a bit of time. Um, I've only just started it, but actually once I get the ball rolling, it won't take very long. So um, cool. I think we are planning some possible news, which we could probably leave to the next episode. Yeah. Well, uh, let us let us announce it now while we're not sure because <laughs> why why should we announce if, something if that happens, we're not sure about? Well, why don't we announce if it when I we're do sure? it, it's going to be in the next two weeks because right. I don't want to pay another year's worth of okay. Bills Go on then. Let's the so, so here's an announcement that may or may not come to pass, but yes. Um, yeah. This is the professionalism you come to expect <laughs> from Effect. Uh, but uh, for some time now, we have been toying with the idea of splitting our actual plays and our magazine show into two separate streams. So if you like the magazine and can't be bothered with the actual play, you don't get that infecting your uh, your podcatcher yep. uh, device uh, all the time. And if you like the actual plays but don't like the two of us nattering, then you can go <laughs> straight to the actual play channel and not listen to that. Yep. And if you like both, you can subscribe to both and make sure there's something on your podcatcher almost every week. Hmm. Um, but those two channels may well involve us changing hosts, and I've got to make a final decision on that. I'm pretty well... Uh, Dave and I, you and I had a discussion before we started recording, and I'm pretty much convinced that I'm going to do it. So, uh, yeah, I so, think yeah. we should, yeah. 
look out for something like Effect AP, which will be launched with the first episode of Alien Aurora. Aurora. Cool. Good stuff. Right then, I think that's probably it for today, and it's probably more than we'd intended. So, let's, uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.